Welcome, Pewter Report readers and listeners, to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast, energized by Celsius on a beautiful Thursday afternoon. I am John Ledyard from PewterReport.com, along with Scott Reynolds, also from PewterReport.com, today to talk about the defensive tackle class in this NFL draft, Scott. We got through it. We did it. We did it, oh. Scott. We, we watched these guys. And, mm. Oh, my goodness. Wow. <sighs> Thank God for Vita Vea. Thank God for Dominican Sue's return. It's rough, Scott. Not a great class. Yeah, John. It's it's not a great class. I mean, um, I, I, I don't think there's any defensive tackle worth taking in the first round, right? Mm, I mean, I, I, agree. I, think, I think we can kind of make that statement early. I think that's the guy right there that's probably going to go first, Christian Barmore from – Alabama, roll tide. Um, but I don't see him as a first rounder. And and neither did uh, our good friend of the show, Warren Sapp, Hall of Famer, who was was on here and and had some really revealing statements about uh, Christian Barmore, a guy that he personally worked out at the Yo Murphy Performance Compound here in Tampa. And uh, Sapp got so frustrated, he actually left the workout and said he asked him to uh, use his right hand and Barmore used his left hand. He's like, no, the other right dummy, you know? And I mean, th- that's kind of red flags right there. Just, um, uh, well, you can see it on tape too. I mean, there's yeah. the, just jumping off sides on fourth downs. Dylan Moses yeah. is yelling at him and, yeah. you know, tackling his own teammates on t- t- you know, looking yeah. for he's just kind of focused. Just the focus seems to be lacking yeah. on tape. Uh, the consistency. Yeah. He's, he's got a highlight reel, right? I mean, he's, yeah. you know, he's, oh, yeah. he's got some highlights, but man, there's some lowlights too. And yeah. John, we had uh, Levi Anzarike from Washington as our first round pick to the Buccaneers. And that was in our second mock draft. Um, mm-hmm. I believe the second, yeah, second mock draft. It was our Third. second one, yeah. yeah second. I think it was second, but. Correct. And, you know, and in and, and doing more of a deeper dive into that, yes, the Bucks like him, but boy, I think he's probably a second round guy. And, mm-hmm. and, and keep in mind, when, when the Bucks are picking 32nd overall, they're actually picking a guy with the second round grade because Jim, right. we've talked about it before, and it's true. Th- there might be, depending on on the team, they might only have fifteen or twenty guys, maybe twenty two guys that carry a true first round grade mm-hmm. in this draft and and pretty much every draft. So by the time you're picking thirty second, you're already on to your second round guys. Now, um, Levi Anzarike, probably not the thirty second best player in the draft. I think we right. can say that. Yep. So even though the Buccaneers will be picking a second round player at 32 and we, we say he might be a second round guy, maybe you might even have him a little bit later. Um, he's not really worth taking at 32. I think that's mm. safe to say. Right, exactly. So we'll ta- dive deep into the defensive tackle class from a valuation standpoint and an evaluation standpoint. So we'll look at the the traits and the, what makes each player tick, and then we'll also look at the value part of it. Where do you want to draft these guys yeah. in order to get the best value for what they bring to the table? We'll also talk about a little mock draft that came out this week. It was Shr- it's Schrager Mock Week, Peter Schrager yeah. Mock Week, which means – some wild things happened for all 32 teams in Peter yes. Schrager's annual mock drafts. And the Bucks had some wild things happen to them in his mock draft today. So we'll dive into all that on the show, talk about possibilities for the Bucks at 32 overall. And it's all brought to you by our friends over at Celsius. John, you know, we always talk about Celsius and the energy that it brings and the crash that it doesn't bring, which is what makes Celsius really special, along with the fact that there's no sugar, no preservatives. But the thing I want to focus on today, John, is the flavor. Mm-hmm. The flavor. They nail the flavors. When it says orange, it tastes like an orange. When it says grape, it tastes like a grape. My lovely wife, Ashley, loves the watermelon, and it tastes like watermelon, even though it's not my favorite flavor. It's hers. The peach vibe, it's got that fuzzy peach flavor to it. It's it's phenomenal. The blueberry pomegranate, John, it tastes like blueberry pomegranate. The the scientists at Celsius nail the flavors. This is not yeah. just a great energy drink. It's a great tasting energy drink. 
Now I'm going to tell you how to get it. Make sure you click on those Celsius banners on PeterReport.com. They'll take you to Amazon. It's the best place to get it. Why? Because you can buy in bulk and save money. If you want to try a can, maybe you want to try orange. John, which flavor are you rocking today? I'm rocking creamsicle today, or the orangesicle. <laughs> the creamsicle, yeah. the orangesicle today. And it tastes like, a, like an orange creamsicle. It does. Oh, yeah, it's great. So if you want to grab either one of these cans or maybe try a different flavor, you can find out where to get it by going to Celsius.com. Click on that store locator tab. And then type in your address. And then whether it's a convenience store, whether it is a Walmart, a Target, um, whether it's a grocery store or a health and fitness store, all those locations will pop up and they'll tell you exactly where to go in your neighborhood so you can try Celsius for yourself. Yep, it's a great product. It's great stuff. What isn't so much great stuff was Peter Schrager's mock draft today. He has the yeah. box going. Davis Mills, Stanford quarterback, number 32 overall. I share Jason Parker's sentiments here, not only in terms – and mock drafts, I don't really care what you do. Yeah. It's, it's all good and fun, and we got to make the most out of the time before the draft. But I think you and I feel very confident in saying the Bucs won't take a quarterback at 32 and wouldn't take Davis Mills anyway, even if they were taking – well, maybe if they weren't taking a quarterback. But they, yeah. they aren't taking a quarterback at 32. Yeah, and and I think too when you when you look at at uh, at quarterback, uh, you've gone on record saying just don't even draft one this year. There really right. isn't one worth taking, and I've already expressed my my love, my man crush on um, on Jerkovic um, from Boston year. College for next year. I, I think he's just an Arians type fit. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it surprised me. Did the story this morning I, when I saw that that news come out? I was like, holy mm-hmm. smokes! It's <laughs> it's it's um uh it's surprising um that that they have six quarterbacks that, that Peter Schrager has six quarterbacks going right. in the first round. Davis Mills they might they might like him they might like Kyle Trask but uh gosh thirty two I don't know how you could justify that I think maybe the only way the Bucks could justify that would be is if they had some intel that they one of these guys wouldn't make it to the second round one of the guys they liked and in this case Mills. And then maybe you're getting a quarterback and yeah. value the fifth year contract, but man, there's no way that Davis Mills is the 32nd best player in this draft, John. No, no, there's no way it's going to happen for a couple of reasons. One, we've talked about the fact that the Bucks are in to win now. Like they want to win this season. Yeah, um, they want to build this roster over the next two years to be as competitive as it possibly can be under Tom Brady. And then think about the future. And the other yeah. big part of it is. They don't even know who the coach is going to be for the next quarterback. They don't know that it's going to be Bruce Arians. How do you draft a quarterback yeah. with a pick like that? You know, in the day three, okay, that that's just you're trying to see if there's talent yeah. there. I well, get John, that. But in the I mean, first round, like you maybe, have, in the first round, you know that the fits there. <laughs> yeah. which, which quarterback do you want, Todd? Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> which one would the... you least like to face, Todd? Yeah. Well, no, I'm saying Todd Bowles would be the next head coach of the Buccaneers. Oh, right. So, yeah. True. Yeah. So maybe that could be, yeah. maybe it could be Todd, you know, and again, but who's going to be Todd's OC? You know, is it going to be Byron? Is Byron right. going to be hired away? So there's just like yeah. so many variables that you don't, you know, you don't want to have to think about right now. I would be shocked if the Bucs select quarterback in the first three rounds. I think they're all in on making this roster the best it can possibly be to win another one and maybe another one after yeah. uh, under Tom Brady. I think that's their full focus is on that right, right. now. Um, you know, and it, Davis Mills, I know Dane talked about him yesterday on the show, and Dane likes him, Scott. He yeah. talked about how he thought Davis Mills was a future starter in the NFL. Might need some time, but he likes mm-hmm. him. I watched another Davis Mills game last night. Man, I'm not sure I feel the same way. I mean, I love Dane. I, I love his stuff, and he's smarter sure. than I am. I, I I watch Davis Mills, and I see definitely a guy that can make throws, but so many bad decisions on his tape. I watched the UCLA game. He threw three picks in that game. He also threw yeah. three touchdowns, over 400 yards. He definitely made throws late in the game, made some throws under pressure. I gave him a ton of credit, but consistency, consistency. It's everything at that position. Yeah. You're telling me a guy who started, I think, 11 games and is right. showing that much inconsistency. I don't know that I want to trust that at any point in the draft, let alone yeah. before day three. Uh, that would be a lot for to, to ask for me. Well, and the thing, too, is, is is there some value in getting the successor for Tom Brady already you know, in the fold, whoever that may be? Yeah, you could make that argument, right? The, the Packers did that last year mm-hmm. in drafting Jordan Love. The problem is is we don't we know nothing about Jordan Love. There's no preseason. So they drafted right. a guy that they still truly know nothing about outside of uh, the handful of practice reps that he got during the season cuz your starter gets the the majority of those reps in practice and there was a truncated training camp for all teams. So 
The Packers right now, John, spend a first-round draft pick on the supposed heir apparent to Jordan Love or to Aaron Rodgers in Jordan Love from Utah State, and they know nothing about this guy. Mm-hmm. And and yes, I understand the logic, right? I mean, I've seen it happen a couple times, right? You, there's nothing better than than to pass the baton from Joe Montana to Steve Young, from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, to have that continuity at the quarterback position. But here here again is Green Bay. Their plan could be completely foiled if Jordan Love is is not very good. And, and I just don't see the value in drafting a guy at 32 right. that will not see the field. For two all. years, yeah, or, at, at least. Year. Yeah, right. It, it doesn't make sense to me at all. And even if he did somehow see the field, like what is he going to beat out Blaine Gabbert? How quickly is QB6 in this draft going to beat out Blaine Gabbert? We, yeah. We've said it over and over. We just – it just feels like I know we. I think they put him out there. The Bucks are a hot team. It's buzzy to give him a quarterback. Sure, you haven't seen Davis Mills in the first round. It gets reactions. Yeah, for some people, that's part of the job, and that's how they want to do it. Traeger does a lot of things well. I've said for years. I think his mock draft is just it's just incendiary. <laughs> that's all that it is. Um, he's a, which is he's fine. a conversationalist. I think he likes the conversation. Yeah, more absolutely. Than maybe the analysis. And I like I, like I said, Peter does some good yeah. things. I just don't. I think it's hard for guys like that. When you say, okay, talk about the draft in April, that takes a lot of legwork to talk about the draft, man. It is not an easy topic to just go on. You just can't. And so it's hard, and I think that he gets kind of caught in the middle of that, which is difficult, I'm sure. Um, Okay, Uh, uh, Long Lost Glazer says, stop wasting our time with quarterback talk. Let's get to a real need with the D-tackle class. In line with what Long Lost Glazer is saying so politely, Tom (laughs) Boxman says D-tackle class sucks, and that's true. But where there is hope, I don't want to say it sucks in terms of there's not high end playmakers. So in the first round, Scott and I are probably going to pass on all these guys, I think. Yeah. But later in the draft, the Bucks need to draft a D tackle. Like, don't, no, no mistake about it. One of yeah. these guys that we're going to talk about today is probably going to be a Buccaneer. Right. And, and fans need to understand that they're probably going to be a Buccaneer at some mm-hmm. point in the draft. And so what I come back to is this, Scott. The most commonly mocked, according to grindingthemocks.com, the most mm-hmm. commonly mocked players to the Bucks right now are Christian Barmore at 30 in the first round, are right. Christian Barmore and Davion Nixon. Those are the top guys right now. I think Najee Harris is tied with Davion Nixon for, for mm-hmm. seconds. So technically they're he's he's tied there. But Christian Barmore, by far, I think 16% of mocks since December have Christian Barmore going to the Bucks at 32. Obviously, Still a lot of players being thrown to the Bucs right now at this point. They're all the way back at 32. So you're going to see a huge variety. So let's talk about Barmore to start things off. Oh, We came into the Barmore conversation a while back, Scott, and we said, okay, there's a chance this guy could be on the – probably going to be the first D-tack off the board, but there's a chance he could be there 32 for the Bucs. Today you had people saying – Jim Nagy, I believe, of the Senior Bowl was saying he's going to go early in the draft, maybe even top 15. Teams like him more than – the draft media do. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like draft media dislikes it, but right. all that aside, I don't know you know what to expect with Barmore, but I think he'll be off the board before the Bucks pick at 32. Do you agree? I, I think so. I think there'll be some uh which means by the way that Warren Sapp will have a year off social media. That's true. That if that happens, that's the case. There's Bucks always fans, you gotta hold them accountable. There's always one dummy out there though. Uh, and some you know some teams are are there's multiple stupid teams. The Bucks I mean, have, have been the that Raiders? fast. Yeah, exactly. It. <laughs> yeah, he, it screams. Uh, uh, I'd say Oakland. It screams yeah. Las Vegas. It screams John Gruden, and and, and Mike Mayock. And so I would not be surprised at all if if he goes out to the Raiders because that that is a big need for mm-hmm. for Las Vegas. And when you look at at the the Cleveland Farrell pick, and uh, there's been some questionable uh, decisions. <laughs> They've had some moments. Draft, <laughs> yes. So to me, Jonathan I, Abram. I, yeah, Jonathan Abram is another one. So uh, I I would not be surprised at all if. If there is a, a, a dumb team that that picks Christian Barmore uh, out there now, now the thing is, is people say, well, you know, why am I ragging on Barmore so much? He had eight sacks, nine and a half tackles for loss. Um, you know, he's he, he's a young guy. Uh, you know, sophomore. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's plenty of upside. He had three forced fumbles last year. It's not like he can't play. Yeah. It's just that the defensive tackle is a position that that rarely you see a player come in and dominate as as a, a rookie. And uh, and so I you know I, I don't think that this guy has a, a lot of, of instant impact. And I think that he's taking advantage of a very, very weak defensive tackle class. I think that's the only reason why he's he's considered to be a first rounder or or this high. Um, there, you know, the I, I've I've heard from from Warren Sapp, who's talked to some other people in the NFL that 
that you know the the work ethic is is not there. Um, he had back surgery this off season. Uh, there there are some concerns, and then you see some of, of the tape. It's it's just not great. Mm-hmm. The highlight reel. Uh, listen, we can put together a highlight reel for any college uh, player, and and show you that only, and and really whet your appetite. But you got to you got to go into the tape, you know. And the first thing I do is I start with with the highlight reel, and I see what the player has in terms of, of their best tape. This is this is their their best. How long is it? How many plays are there? How impactful are there? Do I see traits? Do I see the traits that 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 are akin to the position? And then do those traits translate to what the Bucks are doing offensively or defensively? Right. That's mm-hmm. where I start. Right. And once my interest is peaked. Then I start going into the actual game tape, watching every single rep by rep. Because as Rod Marinelli told me, um, you know, and sacks are important, right? Sack fumbles are even more important. Pressures are are can be just as important because a pressure can lead to an interception. A pressure can lead to an incompletion on third down that leads to a punt, right? right. And the thing is, is is there was a player like like uh, Styles White back in the day for the Buccaneers that had, I think he had eight sacks and. And like five forced fumbles, and statistically, you think, wow, he led the team in sacks. He had a great year. No, he he made eight plays. He made eight plays because that's one thing Marinelli said is is a sack, while it can be critical, is just one play out of perhaps fifty reps or sixty reps that that player might play. What are they doing on the other plays, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes, John, you can't scout from the stat sheet, especially with interior defensive linemen, because they can affect what's happening. And we've seen Vitavea. Uh, you know, literally have one tackle for loss and three tackles, but he had a monster game, right? Even though the stat sheet doesn't scream it, even though there's not a sack or a forced fumble on there. So especially with defensive tackles, you can't just look at the stats and say, wow, here's eight sacks and three forced fumbles. It's a good start. It's better than not having any sacks, right? Sure. Um, it doesn't necessarily it's, mean – It's not the end-all be-all. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean you have that skill right now to accomplish things 1v1. And the tough part about this is – Really, on paper, if there weren't the other stuff that we've kind of heard and we've kind of also seen the lapses on tape, mm-hmm. you know, the technique, like there really is like far more skill set, honestly, yeah. is kind of ideal for what the Bucks would be looking for in some yes. ways right now. It's just a matter of if you're going to spend a pick that mm-hmm. high in the draft, you want to know value wise that you're getting a long term starter out of that. Right. And that's what I'm not sure. Like, could he come in this season and give them some pass rush reps situationally, yep. not having to start? That would be helpful for them. Yes, mm-hmm. is this probably as good of an environment for Christian Barmore as any environment in the league to grow and to get better with guys like Sue and and, and Will Golston around you, then Nacho around you to help keep you accountable. Obviously, Vita too. Um, you know, I think it definitely is Jason Pierre-Paul working with those types of players. I mean, I, I think if there's a if there's a avenue for success for Barmore, it's landing in a place like that, in a place with a rich defensive line development history especially recently uh with a, or with a lot of veteran guys you know i think of a place even like pittsburgh you know th- as places that he could go and i think i would trust the environment to to help cultivate him a little bit more than where he's at now but right now yeah he's a situational pass rusher i think that's where he's game shown the most this past season he did get better as this past year went on the last final stretch of games was really impressive from him the tough part is in inside a defensive tackle, whether we like it or not, if you want to start full time in the NFL, you have to be able to play the run. Yeah. On the edge, they'll let it go. It's not as difficult. You have less runs that depend on you to hold up and be great. Right. Inside, you've got to do it. You've got to play. And when that yep. starts here, it starts here, and it starts with these things with your with your hands, with your technique. Yep. Those are so vital to recognize blocks and to see them coming and understand concepts and play smart football inside and then be able to get off of blocks and off of contact, get into guys' pads first before they get into your pads. Yeah. Those are the critical things about – that's kind of like the baseline. Then if you can do other things from there, that's awesome. But there aren't a lot of players that are special enough to be right. bad technically, bad mentally, bad in run defense, still see the field as full-time players despite those things. That just and the, and the thing is, is you know, Bruce Arians gave us the answers to the test, right? He said they're looking for three things when it comes to defensive players. Fast, physical, and do you love football, mm-hmm. right? And you look at a guy like Jason Pierre-Paul, right? Fast, physical, loves football. Devin White, fast, physical, loves football. Same with Levante David. Same with Antoine Winfield. You can go down the line, right, and Dominica Sue. Not oh. as fast as he once was, but physical and loves football. And, and so – 
and I've seen it too. I, I mean, I, I've seen, um, you know, the John Lynch's, the, granted they were young, but John Lynch, Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks in the same locker room with Eric Curry, who was a bust first round pick out of mm-hmm. Alabama. Uh, not trying to like, you know, do a Crimson Tide comparison there, but, right. but, but he was, was a he a D tackle? He was a defensive end. Okay. All right. Yeah. He and John Copeland were the defensive end uh, duo back in the day at Alabama. And Copeland went to the Bengals. The Bucks got uh, Eric Curry. And Eric Curry just didn't love football. You know, as John uh, Gruden was famous for saying, there are two types of guys in the NFL. NFL players and NFL players. And Eric Curry was a player. He was not a player. He didn't love the game. He loved being a Buccaneer. But yeah. He didn't love playing for the Buccaneers. And so sometimes you can have those great, like, uh, leaders around a player and if, the, if they're, if they're going to suck, they're going to suck, and there's not much you can do to suck the suck out of that player. Right, exactly. Good points. And, and that kind of covers Barmore. I want to get to some of these questions because we do have some good comments here. Long Lost Glazer wants to know, could Carlos Basham – well, you're going to send Scott into a spiral bringing up <laughs> Carlos Basham – or Dio Odinigbo play as a 3-4 DN trying to think outside the box for a value need match at number 32. I'll We've let Scott about that, John. Yeah, I'll let Scott talk about these guys in a second. I do want to say yep. one thing about 3-4 defensive ends as Bucks fans think about them. It's kind of a dead position. I know Will Golston's technically on the roster and people see him that way. But the reason Will Golston is on the roster is because the Bucks came in, the new regime came in. They saw him and they thought, this guy can be an interior pass rush for us. Like he's not been developed that way, but he can do that for us. And he's been his best self over the past two years under Todd Bowles, getting to play a lot more three technique mm-hmm. and being an interior pass rusher on long and late downs, getting to see the field and having some opportunities there. So he's not a great player or a game changer. If he had been developed better early in his career, he might have been a better player than what he is now. He's he's a yeah. good, solid player. And so I don't think the Bucks will technically try to find a Will Golson replica in this right. draft if he moves on next year, they're just going to find interior defensive linemen. You're playing mm-hmm. a nickel with two interior guys almost all the time. Anyway, even when you're in base, Sue can play. I mean, a lot of guys right. can play. You're not two gapping anymore. It's not like you have to find the Lawrence guy types and the Brent urban yeah. types and those kind of guys in today's NFL. You're just trying to find the best guys to play inside the tackles in the NFL. So that's kind of the standard. Now the question is, Scott, do Basham and Odenigbo Ode meet that standard for the Bucks. I, I think it's somewhat close. Johnny, you and I were talking about this. I, I just kind of like made up my personal quest to find out who would be the ideal fit if they were to replace Will Golston. Um, just out of my own curiosity. The reason why I'm not really hot on this subject is because if you were to take all of the positions from, you know, uh, outside linebacker to middle linebacker to free safety on this team, you know, to, to the, the Will linebacker that Levante David plays, uh, it's actually like the money backer. If you were to take all those positions and, and and label them one through through twelve, let's say including the nickel corner, right? Mm-hmm. So if you were to do that, the defensive end, that five tech or four I defensive end that you're looking at, is the last guy on the list, right? Because he's got to be able to play at three or in the A gaps yes. or the B gaps on passing yeah. downs to be yeah. valuable. Yeah, that's right. And so what what Will Golston typically does, and it is valuable. It's not like you don't want him on your team. You do, mm-hmm. and he plays it quite well. But really, what that position is is that's the guy that typically takes on that right tackle, tight end, double team, and anchors at the point of attack right. uh, in in the running game, and will free up. Um, you know, either Vita Vea for a one-on-one uh, if if the if the guard you know comes down and works with the tackle to block him at the point of attack. Um, so you got to have a stout body. And do the Buccaneers want more pass rush there? Yeah, because Will Golston is a guy that will get you one or two sacks a year uh, from that position. But uh, to that point, uh, I I think the Vanderbilt kid probably has the the better body Dale. type to do it. Dale, yeah. yeah. Um, whereas um, Carlos Basham, for a player of his size, Boogie Basham, um, 280 pounds, um, does not play like it. I no. think Shaq Barrett actually is more physical at 252 in terms of throwing his body into right tackles than Boogie Basham. And yeah. I want to like Boogie Basham. I've watched so much of his tape, and the yeah. flashes are there. It's like when he wants to be good, he is. But – I've seen him get pushed around way too much one-on-one with with a college tackle, even with the tight end sometimes. In double teams, they'll wash him out. And, and it's like, you're like, where's the size? I mean, at times, 
you know, it's like, am I watching a, a slower, uh, uh, you know, Aziz Ojolari, who's like 240 pounds, the way he's getting pushed around? So yeah. I don't think either one of those guys is a great fit. Matter of fact, I, I've tried to been, uh, trying to, to sell John on the notion that, that Peyton Turner from Houston at 270 pounds, who did play some four-eye defensive mm-hmm. ends, some five technique um, in a 3-4, is better suited, even though he's undersized to 270. I think even Chauncey Golston from Iowa, um, no relation. It, it is is that type of, of player. He could do that if he added more size. Because Will Golston's about three hundred pounds. Yeah, he's, exactly. He's a, he's a man. And right. He oh, he's huge. Yeah. He's yeah. he's a big dude, Will Golston. Right. And and I, now here's that's where it gets interesting because you don't see many guys two seventy playing inside. And what's you know Golston? I think is two sixty seven or something like that. And so you've You're got guys. Chauncey Golston. Chauncey Golston. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Chauncey Golston. Um. So you've got. Two guys that would, I mean, there's really, again, and especially because Peyton Turner has played inside a little bit situation, but he'd have to change kind of his role a little bit. Golston has played inside, played inside at the Senior Bowl. I do yeah. think Golston could be a fit for the Bucs. Um, he would yeah, be, I do, I, do th- I think that, yeah, because I think that they wanted Anthony Nelson ideally to be able mm-hmm. to play inside and it really hasn't gone that way, but or or be effective on the edge. I think they want another guy that adds to the, the chaos and allows them to do some different things to Jason Pierre-Paul. And I'm, I'm going to tell you something right now. I I, I like Chauncey Golston better than Davion Nixon. Mm, interesting, because Davion Nixon, especially for said, the Bucks. Yeah, yeah. Davion Nixon, second most mocked player to the Bucks, tied with right. Najee Harris for second most mocked player to yeah. the Bucks right now. And so I, I and the reason I like him is because the versatility, because he's yeah. he's a defensive end. He played that that like big edge position at Iowa, but then more often than not, he got kicked inside as a nickel rusher right next to Nixon. And actually, I think, had more sacks, had five and a half sacks to lead the team, where Nixon yeah. had five. So I, I like Chauncey Golson. He had a great senior bowl, too, by the way. Hustling, mm-hmm. high-effort player, high-motor, yeah. and the fact that he can move along that line. You, you don't want him to be the Will Golston replacement down in and down out. You don't want him to be a Vita Vea replacement down in and down out. But I think with his body type and his physicality, I think that he he's more flexible and versatile. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I think that that's he's one of the players on day three that I think he's going to be there on day mm-hmm. three, and I would target probably for the box again. I want guys who can help the pass rush situation as depth. Maybe maybe he is never a full time player for the box. I can live with that, but give me some juice and some you know as a third pass rusher, guys that can do that and give you that with the energy that he plays with, the physicality he plays with. Oh, and I'd by a, the way, John, did, big did, fan of that. Did, did I mention that the Chauncey Golston, he also has three interceptions in his career? You did seven, not mention that. I did not and, know that. How did and, that happen? And seven, well, he, it's because he's aware. He's aware. We talked about oh, it just a couple oh, minutes oh. ago. It's not just the sacks, right? It's it's how do you affect the passer? Is it a pressure? Sometimes it's getting your hands up. That's one thing Jason Light really wants to see is that situational pass rush awareness. You can't get to the quarterback, fine. What are you doing to affect the passer? Pass breakups, right? Yeah. Interceptions, tip pass at the line, you know, and, and catch mm-hmm. it. That's something that, that Golston, uh, Chauncey Golston has done at Iowa to the tune of seven pass breakups, three fumble recoveries, three interceptions. That's pretty rare for an, an interior defensive lineman or an edge player, which is what right. he's doing both yeah, at I- Iowa. And I tend to agree with you that I think Deo Adenigbo, he, you know, I, to me, I'm just not very interested in drafting him. I think he could be a fit. I just don't really, his tape doesn't really show me anything special. And he just tore his Achilles in in January. So it's, he was going to rest. Yeah. That's an injury that's tough. Uh, That's the one injury still, I think, that that can get guys still. So I wouldn't want to, I just wouldn't be interested in drafting him. Then Basham, yeah, I, I don't, I think he's an edge. I think he's a 4 3. D end, you know, I say four, three, we'll talk about that in a second here. Um, I think he's a DN plays with the sand down. That's what he does. And he have, I don't think he drops and the Bucks like to drop their guys. Um, that, they that do, to yeah. me is, is his type of fit. So I want to address this question real quick. Mark Fisher. He asked if he can uh, donate to the website. You can, you can actually do, uh, do super chat donations uh, during the show. And I think there's a dollar sign or something in the bottom corner of the screen or something like that. Our screen looks different than yours, but um, you can uh, leave a super chat donation as well. Uh, but Mark asks, Scott and John, do we have a 3-4 or 4-3, or are we a hybrid? Your language fits a 4-3. I'll tell you what the Bucs have. They have a 4-2 like every other team in the league because that's right. a 4-2-5 is what everybody plays because you're in yep. nickel almost all the time in today's NFL. Now, technically, the Bucs have a 3-4 when they are in base, just not going to be in base that often in today's right. NFL, just the reality of what it is. So, 
yes, they have a three, four. You'll also see them line up differently depending. Mm -hmm. We have Will Golston locked at a five and, and Will mm -hmm. Stewart at a three and Vita on the nose. It looks different depending on how the opponent lines up. It is not as simple as it once was in today's NFL because NFL offenses are so different and so complex. The terms three, four, and four, three, although we still use them, we really, when I'm talking about with Basham, when you're talking about an edge defender, you're really just talking about who can drop and who can't because some right. three, four teams will drop their edge guys and the mm -hmm. Bucks are one of those teams. Some don't, and so it really they doesn't matter. Paul got a pick, right? Yeah, you got this a couple year. of picks, right? Well, yeah. one wasn't yeah. in coverage, but yeah. Yeah, Shaq Barrett um, got a pick right. in 2019. Both of those guys were over – I believe both of them were. I know Shaq was over 100 snaps they dropped into coverage this past yeah. season. That's a lot of snaps for an edge rusher. <laughs> that's yeah. too many in my opinion. But really, but, John, when you think about it, it's almost two full games. If you're if you're a defensive player and you're playing 50 snaps, they play exactly. a, little, a little bit more. But it's a, it's a game and a half to two games worth right. of just dropping in coverage if you add them all up. It is. It's crazy. So that is why I say I mentioned the trait for Basham. I think if it matters to Bulls as much as it looked like it did this past season, it hasn't always mattered to Bulls mm -hmm. like that. But if that's the direction he wants to go and he thinks it's important yeah. at that position. But the other thing Scott and I go back to is he drafted Anthony Nelson. I mean, Anthony Nelson doesn't look or do any of the things that right. you would think. Like if you asked me to describe what the Bucks are looking for in an edge defender <laughs> right now, it wouldn't look like Nelson. And he was a day yeah. three pick, so maybe they just – like some things and his testing certainly was better than his tape. And so right. maybe they fell in well, love with it, that part it, of it. Let me explain the Anthony and Nelson pick and, and, and why I don't think they're going to go in that type of direction again, because mm -hmm. I think that Jason light was trying to draft Carl Nassib's eventual replacement because he knew that, you know, he could only afford either Shaq and Jason Pierre Paul, but not Carl Nassib. He couldn't, he could get yeah. two out of the three. Nassib was going to be the guy that, that, that left the bucks last year. And of course he did. He went out to good to, choice, Jason. Yes, he chose wisely. Went out to Vegas, didn't earn his money at all. Uh, hardly saw some some playing time. But right. the thing about Carl Nassib that that made him a fit in, in this style of defense was he was long, he was rangy, very physical, uh, and he helped push the pocket. And remember, Jason Pierre-Paul missed the first eight games of Shaq Barrett's 19-and-a-half sack season. And Shaq would be the first one to tell you, Carl Nassib's pressure in the face of the quarterback coming from from the, the left side against the right tackle allowed Shaq to, to, to get a stationary target because the quarterback couldn't, you know, roll and, and, uh, and go in Carl Nassib's direction. So the problem is, is Anthony Nelson just isn't the physical presence that Carl Nassib is. Mm -hmm. He tested better. He's a better athlete, but it doesn't really translate into the type of production. And listen, mm -hmm. Carl Nassib was a third round pick and he gives you third round pick type production. He'll give you, you know, maybe five or six sacks a season. That's that's about what he averaged in Tampa. The Raiders, I think, wish that he would have given them five or six sacks last year. But yeah. we just we haven't seen in two years Anthony Nelson come close to even being what what Carl Nassib is. And you like the length, you like the size at around 260, 265. But a guy who's 6'2", 250, barely 6'2", mm -hmm. right. and Shaq Barrett outperforms Anthony Nelson. Right. And and so I think that, you know, in answer to Mark's question, it, it doesn't matter quite as much. It really matters for the type. What's your type at those positions rather than what formation are they? And it, that that really has kind of gone out of style. It's more like how does the defense coordinator use his guys? Same thing with yeah. safeties like, you know, free safety, strong safety. Well, today's NFL, they're, they're almost interchangeable for a lot of teams. Right. How does the team do they rotate their safeties a lot? How do they use them? Do they have the one safety play? Man, do they play three safeties like the Saints right. do all the time? Those are kind of the, the more the considerations rather than three, four, four, three, things like that. So just wanted to touch on that yeah. real quick so we're not so we're our language and, is and all it, on the same I, point. I'll just say this to just to put a period on it. In four three defensive ends, you can get away with the boogie basham. You can get away with with a um a Robert Ayers, you can get away with with a Cam Jordan, those big 280, 285 pound physical guys. But typically, when you're a three-four defense, which you're looking for those outside linebacker positions, you can have a big guy there. Jason Pierre-Paul's six-five, mm -hmm. two hundred and sixty-five pounds. But you got to have some juice, some speed, some explosiveness. And if you look at Shaq Barrett and 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 Cameron Jordan, they're two completely different players, two completely different body styles. Uh, Shaq Barrett would not be uh, good at all in in a, a four-three defense as a defensive end. Uh, he has to kind of play off the ball in that role. Cam Jordan would not be good as an outside linebacker in a three-four defense. <laughs> so, so th that that's the big comparison right there on the edge. Yeah.
Right, right. There's some differences like that. You always want to think about with defensive ends, they're a little more likely to stay inside. And you bring up a lot, like if you went, a team went heavier personnel and you brought an extra linebacker onto the field, a defensive end's a little bit more likely to play inside between the tight end and right. the tackle and play that role. Now, the Bucks hang like that inside. So they will leave them a lot of time in there. Shaq mm-hmm. does an awesome job of getting skinny through some of those he gaps. Does when he tries to get double and things like that. But a lot, but the Bucs don't really bring another linebacker on the field, even in those situations very often, unless they're on the goal line. So, uh, and that's when they'll bring really Pat O'Connor and some of those guys in to play those spots and push right. Barrett outside. So they do count on them a little more than some teams. Some teams feel like they have to have more of a rotation there uh, for that stuff. But enough about that. We do get into the nitty gritty, even on this podcast, but a place that we get into that kind of stuff even more, Scott, is on Locker Room. Locker Room is changing the way that we talk about sports. It's the only place for live audio conversations about the takes, rumors, news, and teams you care about. React to sports news as it happens. Gather all your friends and watch parties for the biggest games. Rep your favorite teams and find your community. Better Sports Talk is just a tap away. Download on the Apple App Store and join the conversation with Locker Room. Right after Scott and I wrap up, Taylor and Matt are going live on Locker Room at 5 p.m. Eastern. So you get to continue the Bucks chat with uh, Taylor and Matt on Locker Room. Just download the Locker Room app, follow Peter Report. You'll get an invite for when they go live uh, sent out to you, and you'll be able to join those guys for the conversation, jump in, and even audibly voice your thoughts uh, for all those kinds of types of things. So be fun stuff uh, with those guys, and then I'll be on there at some point this weekend as well uh, talking about some things and and doing some Q&A as well. So it should be fun stuff. Um, This D-Tackle class, we've talked about, a lot at length, Christian Barmore, Davion Nixon, um, and we've talked about Levi on Wazirike too. We haven't talked about him on mm-hmm. this show that much, but we've talked about him a good bit in other places. How about the other guys in the class, though, Scott? Later on down the board, I think one of the players that could be the best value pick, a defensive tackle in this class, is Marlon Tuipolotu from USC. Okay. He's my number four defensive tackle. I have a third-round grade on him, so I'm not getting crazy. I just think there's something to be said in a class like this for getting a guy who isn't going to bust. I just don't think he's going to bust. He loves the game. He's physical. He plays zero technique, head up on the center, all the way out to a four eye at times. He moves around. He plays the run really well. He's developed as a pass rusher this past season. The transformation he had, I watched his 2019 tape, Scott, and I said, I texted you, I was like, he literally looks like an undrafted free agent in 2019. He switched jersey numbers from 51 to 93. He started wearing gloves. He got tape on his forearms. The aesthetic got better. He started doing abs because he lost that power gut that he had. You look good, you feel good, right? He looked great in 2020. I mean, the transformation was crazy. I honestly had to stop the tape like three times. I'm like, am I really watching the same guy? Like, I'm so confused right now. I didn't even look like the same body type. Nothing. His tape in 2020 was so much better. Just a player that really, really improved and benefited from playing this past season. I think we might not have known had he opted out for 2020. So glad that he was able to play and show us that on tape. His game against Arizona State had some high-level stuff, man. It's some really good stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the kind of dominance in a game that you haven't really seen from many defensive linemen in this class. And so I like him. I don't think there's a high ceiling for him. Uh, he He can hold his own as a pass rusher. Um, he can uh, he can uh, play run defense really well on a couple different techniques. He's just a tough customer. I like him. I think he's better than Jay Tufele. I know not everybody feels that way, mm-hmm. um, but I, I'm a I'm a fan of Marlon T. It, very similar body types between uh, Tufele and and Marlon. You look at at six almost six two three oh seven yep. for for Marlon Tui Polotu and Jay Tefele, 6'2", about 305. So they're almost carbon copies from a, from a body size standpoint. The production, uh, when you look at, 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 uh, you know, at Tefele, he's probably a little twitchier, has a little bit more of an opportunity maybe on third downs. And I think when you look at, at uh, Tui Polotu, more like a first and second down player against the run. And that's okay because we've seen Jason Pierre-Paul come inside on third downs and rush as a defensive tackle alongside Vita Vea. And so maybe you're just getting a defensive tackle for that particular package, um, you know, in, in terms of stopping the run. But you do look at the production. Over 12 games, uh, Tui Pelotu had 
two sacks, one forced fumble, and not even half the games last year. Only played five, right? Because the Pac-12 got such a late start. You know, did, were they going to cancel the season? Did they finally turn the light on? Yeah, they, they mm-hmm. turned it on for five games. Uh, so they had a truncated season. But in those games, he matched his sack total. Two sacks in five games, and the year before, two sacks in 12 games, and had three and a half tackles for loss and a forced fumble. So you could kind of see just from a production standpoint that he was ready to pick up where he left off and even take some big steps in terms of improvement just based upon those that five-game sample size. Right, yeah, exactly. I think that you know, there's – for not for very few of these guys, is there a high ceiling in this class? We'll talk about a couple that, that might have a high ceiling uh, in a second. So to me, the knowledge that you're going to get a guy who can definitely play and help you in the range that Marlon T is supposed to be drafted in that late third to somewhere in the fourth round, it's just a value, right? It's You're, you're right. not going to get it a first-round player. You're going to get the player you draft there. You draft Christian Barmore in the first round, you might end up getting a second or third round player. Like that might be. Yeah. So it's, it's a value proposition to me that attracts me to, to Marlon T. The other guy John, I've seen him. Yes. We're, we're, let's, let's stay on the West coast. Shall we, we can talk? Oh, about let's the next do it. Guy. Who do you want to talk about? Well, let's go to number five in your list. Oh no. That's exactly where I was going actually. There so we I go. don't know if you want to say, but yep. yeah, no. Oso Adigazua. I mean, I, he's an interesting player to me. I don't know if he's a bucks fit or not. He's 282 pounds and you'd never guess by watching him, man. He is. Yeah. He's strong and he plays with great leverage. You do not see him get bodied up very often in the run game or knocked off the ball, which is crazy when you consider his size. Um, he is very physical. He is – I can't believe that he doesn't get bodied more than he does because he doesn't use his hands very well yet. It's very yeah. inconsistent. When he stacks guys and sheds them, I mean, he has length over 34-inch arms. Like yeah. I said, he's obviously strong. His lower half is unbelievable. He just doesn't use his hands that well yet right. to this point. He's got to get better getting off the ball quickly. When he does that, the USC game, when they played USC, I mean, he was the first guy off the ball. He was in the backfield all the time. He got it. He's got to detach from contact. He gets stuck on blocks. He'll knock the blocker back, but he can't get off and make a play. So he's great at resetting a lot of scrimmage. He's very physical, but all the intricacies with his hand have to be developed still. Pass rush moves, things like that. Can he stack and shed more quickly, find the football, Right now, he's like a bull in a china shop, man. And yeah. For a third rounder, I love the physicality. I love the physical tools you're getting. He tested pretty well. Thought he had a pretty solid senior bowl. But again, can he consistently get off contact a little bit cleaner? He just doesn't get that yeah. many clean looks, and the production is affected right. because of that. Now, the crazy thing is, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk out of both sides of my mouth here, right? So when you look at at the Buccaneers, Jason Light has not drafted a defensive tackle that weighs less than 296 pounds. And that was seventh round uh, Missouri prospect, Terry Beckner Jr. And he was 296, didn't make the team. He's mm-hmm. drafted Stevie Tui Kolobatu, uh, who was around 330 pounds. He's drafted Vita Vea, who is, you know, at the time he was drafted 200, or sorry, 347 pounds. And then uh, drafted Kilo Davis, who's over 300 pounds. I think 306, I believe was what he, weighed at, at the combine. So when you look at, at, um, at the UCLA kid, uh, 282 pounds, I, I just don't see him being a bucks fit at that size, especially six one. He's doesn't have the, the, the length. Now, the reason I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth is because, well, Jason, Light traded for Steve McClendon, who's six four two eighty. But John, if you look at Steve McClendon, there's not an ounce of fat on that guy. That is a grown man. That is a guy that is just pure muscle right. at two pure muscle. <laughs> so it's a completely different uh, 280 pounds for a, a Digazue as as there is for McClendon, right? And so I, I think that that the Bucks are looking for that Indomikasu type, maybe not necessarily the Vita Vea size, but at least somebody that is in the Khalil Davis Indomikasu 300 plus pound uh, size for their their defensive style with. Uh, with Todd Bowles. Right. Yeah, it's a good point. I, and he is uh, probably, like you said, I don't know that he's a fit, but I think he's a good player for whoever yeah. gets him. He'll be a solid player. Another guy, I don't think the lows are not too low on his tape. That's what I'm looking for kind of in those rounds. Like, I don't want the lows to be disaster. And for him, mm-hmm. they're not a disaster. He has some tape. He has some plays he could do things a lot better and, and get better at. But there's not you don't see him getting like totally blown up all the time and things right. like that, which again, 282 pounds. 
Pretty yeah. impressive. So I like yeah. Osa. I think he brings something to the table. There is the Speaking element of, of the, like his brother was not in love with the game, apparently. And you oh, know okay. how that goes with teams. Yeah. Like, right. oh, your brother wasn't? You must be exactly like your brother. That's, yeah. I, I don't know whether it's true or not. I, I know I've talked to people at UCLA. They say Osa is a great kid and loves the right. game. Certainly looks like it from his tape, so hopefully that doesn't affect his stock when the time comes. Yeah, well, speaking of undersized defensive tackles, John, number six on your list is a guy that is really surging up draft boards and probably will go in the second round. I think he's going to get overdrafted a little bit because Milton Williams from Louisiana Tech at 6'3", 284, ran a blistering 4'6'2 in the 40-yard dash at his pro day. His whole athletic experience at the pro day was unbelievable. I mean, four sixes. I don't. Yeah, that's like bounds. That's like Warren Sapp. Um, I, let, let me see what Warren's pro uh, his combine number was. And Warren was heavy though, right? I mean, he was heavier than. Uh, Warren Sapp ran a four six nine. At was his at, weight? Uh, his weight was coming out of. Uh, they had about three hundred pounds. Yeah, that's that's completely crazy. Yeah. That's insane. I mean, Milton's you know what two eighty two did you say two eighty four? I forget something like that. Yeah, he's around the, right right around the same as Osa, and not as long armed as Osa, which I think is important when you're an undersized guy. You want to keep people off your frame. Again, Osa doesn't use his arms very well yet, but the potential is there. When the flashes are there, when he's able to stack a guy up and and he can keep dudes way off his frame, that's a trouble for Milton. He just Again, if you are playing in Conference USA and you're the most athletic, one of the most athletic defensive tackles, not at that level, mm-hmm. that even when you get to the NFL, you'll be one of the most athletic defensive yeah. tackles. In and the actually, league. I stand corrected. Warren Sapway, 281 at the combine. Oh, wow. He's 281. Like, yeah, so it was basically, so it's very similar. Yeah, yeah very similar. In that, in, that, yeah. in that way only. So yeah. I wanted to see, I w- you should be like dominating that level. Like, guys, you, yeah. you should be too quick for anybody to handle you. And against North Texas, there were certainly moments it was definitely better. But you, I mean, when you're a small school North player, Texas. right? I That's always North go Texas. to the, right. If you're a small yeah. school player, uh, any player, but especially small school guy, I'm going right to the best team you faced. Yeah. Who's the best offensive line that you faced? The best offense you faced? BYU automatically right off the bat. So that's the game I start with. I want to know right away. What there's no reason to watch them against the worst, unless it's right. the only other tape you have. You want to watch them against the best. That's the right. only thing that's going to tell you anything. And so. He was, wasn't very good in that game, just straight up wasn't. Um, plays his tail off. Body is unbelievable. Athleticism, unbelievable. Effort is great. Uh, they definitely could have used him better. Uh, he plays out of a square stance sometimes. I think it limits his explosiveness. But for all his traits, there was very little dominance on tape. I think his yeah. block recognition is probably among the worst in the league. He would get reached constantly against zone schemes, and BYU runs a lot of zone. He get reached constantly just because he didn't decipher. He didn't know what's coming. He didn't know how to step. Mm-hmm. He needs work with his feet. He needs work with his hands. Um, he needs a lot of work. He can't play yeah. right away. But I would well, still and, take him late third round, Scott, because yeah. you just can't you, those tools. Yeah, I mean, he literally is going to go yeah. into the NFL as one of the most athletic D tackles in the league. And I know he's small, yeah. but he's not so small that he's not like physically outmatched. I don't think yeah. two hundred eighty pounds. Guys are playing at two eighties in, in today's NFL inside. Yeah, that's not the end of the world to me. You just need to coach him technically. Right. And and he you, you mentioned not dominating. He had four and a half sacks in ten games last year. You yeah. know, and and he had five and a half and twelve uh games the year prior and no forced fumbles. So you're looking for splash plays. And I think he's a splash athlete that didn't make as many splash plays as you would like. The athleticism splashes, mm-hmm. not the production. Right. So and is he a box fit? That's the other thing. I don't think so. I don't think so either. I tend to think he and Oso would be guys that might end up being good in the NFL, a little bit of a higher yeah. ceiling for both than what we saw in college, but not sure it's going to happen in Tampa Bay or, or not. We'll, we'll have to see. It would be outside the typical structure which they've drafted at D-tackle. It would, be, it would represent a change for sure. Yeah. Another guy that would represent a change probably is Tommy Togiai. That's how you say yep. it, Togiai. Tommy Togiai from Ohio State, 296 pounds. He got to it as pro day. Good for you, buddy. I don't think you were playing at 296, <laughs> no. but that's good that you did that because he also tested like an unbelievable athlete there. Great stuff from him. I think he ran a 7-2 shuttle, or shuttle I think it was, or, or no, sorry, three-cone. I mean, um, just crazy type yeah. of numbers for him for a D-tackle to run a 7-2 three-cone. Right. Um, that's right. pretty and, wild. And He's six, barely six one, six yes. one two ninety six, uh, and what thirty one inch arms? Thirty one inch arms. Yeah. yeah, he's got very, very short arms. 
So um, Raptor Arms is yeah. explosive for sure. And right. you can see his ability to bend and dip a little bit. Um, when you're that athletic at that level, I think it helps you to be able, I mean, there just are not very many good guards in college football period. They help put them right. on tackle. Um, and so he had that kind of advantage built in for him, but another guy who plays very hard, he's very physical. I don't know if he ever has the body type to be a full-time every down player in today's NFL. Yeah. That's okay. He, you he can, just, he looks like a wave defensive tackle to he me. Does, he's a rotational yeah. guy, three sacks last year. He played a on, you know, Ohio State always has like a star-studded lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they didn't have Chase Young last year, but, you know, one forced fumble, two pass breakups, pedestrian production, 23 tackles, three sacks. Um, you know, he's, he's never played. even played more than 300 snaps in a season. He's never hit no. 300 in a season yeah. um, for three years at Ohio State. So yeah, he was a, really a first year starter last year. So there just isn't a whole bunch to get excited about because there isn't a whole bunch of tape. Right, and he played great down the stretch, and they clearly yeah. missed him in the national championship game. There's no question about that. But at the end of the day, like, I just need a little bit more to go off of with him. I think he does have some upside. If I were him, if I were Togi, what I would do is I would focus all my energy on becoming the best pass rusher I can be because in the NFL, that's where you're going to make your hay if you're a player like that. You could get a second contract, a nice little second contract, right. by being a good pass, a good interior pass rusher that doesn't kill a team in run defense. You might not yeah. see the field if you – kill a team and run defense your efforts back but effort that he plays with the intensity he plays with if he can become a pass rusher in terms of skill right now he just kind of runs into guys and he's a leverage guy and he can knock them back and but he has to be more than just a pocket pusher can you win over top and to the edge of interior blockers if he can do that i think he could have a nice 10-year career get himself a second contract earn himself some money year to year just in that type of maybe buy a house too with that money could maybe buy a house, and if he bought a house, where would he, where do you think he should go for to insurance and things like that? John, I think there's only one place to go. That's Briar Greaves mm-hmm. Insurance. I mean, what a world that we live in, right? Where we've had COVID, you know, strike this this country and around the mm-hmm. around the world. Uh, we've had a record number of named storms last year. John, we're getting ready to get into storm season again this summer. Wildfires out west. It's it's been wild when it comes to the insurance world, and um, with Commercial property and homeowners insurance rates increasing uh, across the industry due to these catastrophes. Briar Greaves Agency has got numerous carry, carriers and options to help you and new and existing customers that are affected by these increases. So for life insurance, commercial insurance, homeowners insurance, auto insurance, boat insurance, only one place to turn. Briar Greaves, they're my insurance agent. Let them be yours. The folks at Briar Greaves Insurance are big Fans of the Bucks and proud sponsors of the Pewter Report podcast here on pewterreport.com. Visit briargreavesinsurance.com or give them a call at 813-876-4166. That's 813-876-4166. One of the last guys on my list, Salim McNeil. He started off and we thought he might have been a little bit higher, but I watched tape after tape. I watched 2019. Yeah. I watched 2020. I just didn't see a pass rusher at all. And as a run defender... He only has played in the A-gaps, really, the last two That's seasons. Right. You go back to 2018, there was a little bit more outside of that, but he was a young player. It wasn't, you know, lately they saw he was just – he's an A-gap player yeah. who doesn't make many plays out of his box. Like, he doesn't have range, yeah. doesn't make a lot of plays by the line of scrimmage, doesn't make impact as a pass okay, rusher. John, he got a pick six last year. Let's give him credit for that, That's right? That's true. There you go. <laughs> At least he got an 18-yard pick six. Now, now he is people, a fast nose tackle. <laughs> yes, he is. Yes. Now, in, in the – the, the similarity he has with Vita Vea is they were both high school running backs. Lee McNeil was a was a running back in high school, but that's where the similarities end because Vita Vea was drafted 12th overall for a reason. He is a freak of nature, and I think even the people that were screaming on draft day back in 2018, you know, why would you take this guy? You know, when, when there's there's a uh, you know Derwin James there. Well, I, I think we all realize the importance of Vita Bay. I think even Vita Bay's critics, uh, talking to you, Warren Sapp, have come around to appreciate Vita Bay's game. Yeah, it's different. There, I mean, you can't compare Warren Sapp or even Brad Culpepper to what Vita Bea does. Different player, different defense, different time in in uh, modern football here. But um, when you look at 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 Aline McNeil, um, he has some size. That's about all I see that he has going for him, size and strength, 6'2", 320 pounds. Um, but, John, I think there's been some better North Carolina State defensive linemen that have come out in recent years. Yeah. 
And uh, I think I've seen this guy mocked as high as the second round. I think that's that's a little rich. I think maybe day three in the fourth round. You know, that's it's that's just, maybe yeah. about where he he belongs. Maybe the, it's just a value thing. Like there's yeah. three guys right now who are free agents who are on a roster that you can Dick can do what he does. I mean, yeah. that's just he's a he's a he's a he's a point of attack right. run stuffing type of guy. Doesn't get moved around a lot. But also outside his space, he's not going to make many plays. Like he's different than he doesn't reset line of scrimmage, knock guys back, penetrate that much. He's just going to hold his space. He's a gap holder. That's what he is. And and those kind of guys, that's nice to have. Just right. has to be the right value. If you pick him in the middle middle of the draft, okay, fine, cool. Yeah. Like you got yourself a good run stuffer who can play those early downs. But he's only going to give you, you know, 300, 400 snaps a year. I think that's what he is, and I don't think he's much more than that. And so he did test pretty well. So there is some athleticism there, right? Again, I just didn't see it on tape. Like there just was to me was no pass rush impact yep. on tape. Uh, and there was a little bit, but I think some of those sacks that he got in 2019 because he did have five five and a half sacks, but some of those mm-hmm. were kind of cheap. Where yeah, right. it was it was somebody that almost had him in the grasp and then let go, and then Aleem happened to be right place, right time. And there's something to be said for that, but it's not like he's going to create his own action, John. You saw that last year with just one sack in 11 games too. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. He's a he's a type of player that is a diamond dozen. I mean, you can find these guys uh, in every class, I think. Jay yep. Tefele, I talked about him a little bit. Again, to me, with Jay Tefele, it's hard to win when you don't win with leverage and consistency in the NFL. You just kind of need yep. that in the defensive line. Or you have to be a great athlete. If he can right. play his style of play, which is to slip between gaps, cross the face of guys, you know that type of a defense. It would need to be a slanting, heavy type of defense for Jay Tefele. Right. Then show me you have elite athleticism. He tested yep. and his agilities were pretty poor at his yep. pro day. And and on tape, it's yeah, like he, he didn't quick, play last year. What yeah, were you doing play. last year? Right? Yeah. You gotta be you gotta be training. You gotta show out for your pro day. And, and maybe he was, and maybe that's all there is to him. Maybe that's all there's to it. Yeah. <laughs> but we saw a guy like Quinn Miners, right, from from Wisconsin and Whitewater, who was a, a day three pick at best, right? That didn't even play last year because of of COVID-19 to cancel the FCS pretty much altogether. Mm-hmm. Then he goes to the senior bowl and blows everybody away, completely yep. ups the stock into day two territory, then takes it a step further. And we, we saw all of the, the workouts where he's lifting up the logs and chopping down the trees and stuff like that. You know, you can tell this guy spent a year on his craft mm-hmm. and he took snaps at center for the first time to prepare for the senior bowl. And he played guard. He played left guard. Uh, exclusively at Wisconsin Whitewater, who's ready to play center and had some fantastic reps in the one-on-ones in the game and has really pushed himself probably into the second round. And this is a guy that, that you know, was just like uh, Levi Onzerike, just like Jay Tefele, right? Didn't play last year, but improved himself mm-hmm. and improved his draft stock. So it can be done. But like yeah. you said, John, maybe what you see is what you get with Tefele. Right, and that's the tricky thing with some of these guys. Like Owen Wozerike, I was talking to a scout the other day, and he was saying he just thinks 32 is a little bit rich for a guy yeah. like Owen Wozerike. And he said one of the problems that, that scouts are kind of running into with Owen Wozerike is that he's out there and he's he's at the Senior Bowl one day, and then he gets hurt, and then he right. goes into his pro day, and that's it. He's hammy, you know, and now he's yeah. out for the pro day. And it's just it just feels like the prospect. You didn't see him in 2020, and like yeah. all that stuff kind of matters. I do. I don't think he's going to be a first round pick. Would be surprising to me. And so, if that's with Tefele. Now he did do his workout and everything, and he he plays hard. Like there's yeah. no question about it. He he competes. Um, yeah. He is a high energy football player. I just think that if you play the way he plays, which is more to slip around guys and, and penetrate through gaps, and as a slasher type. You need to be pretty athletic in today's NFL to right. make that work consistently enough. You yeah. might you might get through. You might catch a team in a zone, you know, a zone right. block, and you slip through a gap and you make a play. But consistently, teams are going to want your 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 defense coordinator is going to yeah. want to see that you can you can do your job on a regular basis, yeah. and that's where he loses me. Look at the production as as a freshman: three sacks, one interception. Okay, a little splashy. He had he had a, a touchdown, a fumble recovery for a touchdown, made some plays. Second year in 13 games, just three and a half sacks. So, uh, you know, if you you have to have some splash athleticism, some splash uh, production, and it, it just really wasn't there. And you look at, at Tefele, he just doesn't have special size either, right? I mean, he's we talked mm-hmm. about it before. He's uh, 6'2", 305. That, that, that's, that's very similar in size to Khalil Davis. The Bucks already have somebody mm-hmm. – 
um, like Tufeli on their roster already. I don't think they want another one necessarily. Right. And then so McNeil to to to, to Togiai and McNeil to Fele, and then finally Bobby Brown was the last of my top ten. Bobby Brown, I don't know if any of these guys are Bucks guys, but Bobby Brown, I know we've talked about him for the Bucks. Mm-hmm. I think we've mocked him to the Bucks. The more I watched Scott, the more I thought, I'm just not sure. Like this physicality just isn't there. I keep yeah. going back to what Bruce Arians says. Every like, little wow. step he takes yeah. is do just you love football. Like, yeah, do you love football? I just I'm not saying he doesn't. I'm just saying that you don't see it when you watch him on tape. And I don't know how much face to face interaction they'll get with him, but I'm just saying they're gonna want to see it on the tape, first of all. And well, he slouches a lot of his reps as a pass rusher are just mm-hmm. I mean he just barely churns his feet in place it's disappointing because he only plays like 20 snaps a game oh, yeah he doesn't oh, yeah. even play a huge snap load like in his and, whole career and he's got a, a fantastic frame six oh, four, three twenty one and he's a he's he's got some muscle there it's not just like all bad weight right no you know what I mean like I said in my article if you could make a D tackle in a lab right you want him to look and move like Bobby Brown does but you'd also yes. want him to be better at football that's where Bobby yes. Brown just kind of and there may I, be upside there, but I just think it's unlikely that you find it in the NFL. If he's around round five, right. okay. But before yeah. that, I don't it, know. Six four three twenty one, uh, and and at that size, ran ran a five zero flat. That's that's not a bad time. But I think part of the issue is, and we saw this with Ronald Jones uh, coming out of USC in the second round as a junior. Uh, when you look at at Bobby Brown, he's coming out of Texas A and M, um, probably. I think for his draft stock should have stayed in. Why do I say that? Because he's 20 years old. He won't be 21 until August 7th. He's a very young mm-hmm. guy. And sometimes you see the young guys. Rojo was very young when he came in. He was the same way, 20 years old. And they just don't have the, the maturity. They don't yeah. have the work ethic and the maturity that goes with that. And um, so it, it's, listen, it'd be the Bucks' prerogative to get Bobby Brown on a Zoom call. And, and really kind of probe his character and, and ask him. Because, again, the three things they're looking for, here's the cheat code. Are you fast? Are you physical? Do you love football? Right. right? That you, are you passionate about the game? Because you look around the Bucks locker room now, there's plenty of passion. It starts with number 12 on the mm-hmm. offensive side. Uh, and, you know, and right behind it is number 13 with Mike Evans. You're not going to mm-hmm. find more passionate players on the offensive side than that. In the right. defensive side, we talked about Jason Pierre-Paul, talked about Devin White, Antoine Winfield. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. these guys love football. Yeah, so no you're looking, you're looking for more of that, right? And I think out of these group, this group, Bobby Brown's one of the ones that stands out. Is like I just really don't know. From watching yeah. them, I really don't know. They need to figure that out for sure. The other guys, I didn't really rank. I think we kind of, to me, I, if you're going pure nose tackles, I like Tyler Shelvin more than Marvin Wilson, probably a little more consistent of a player. Mm-hmm. Darius Stills is kind of like a sub-package interior rusher. Again, round five, six. You think you can get a guy like that that can give you 10 snaps and a blowout. You know, If you think that's valuable enough, go for it with Darius Stills. The run game, I think he's going to get work, but he is quick. Yeah, uh, He tested pretty well. I think he's right. a good dude. I think he will work hard from what I've heard. Jalen Twyman, another one, athletic testing just took him out of consideration oh, for me. It was just John. too bad. He was in the zero and first percentile for agilities, I oh. think. It's- and this is a guy who played around 270, so he took the year off, right? He didn't play last year. Yeah. He opted out. 270, did you say? He played in, in the 270s, and now he worked his way up to 301 for his pro day. Jeez, I thought he was 290. <laughs> well, and, and, and you can you can see where where he gained the size. It's, it's just all upper body, and I, I think he loves to lift weights. More than yeah. he loves football. Well, and I don't. Yeah, I know that he. I know that he loves to lift weights because he got forty he reps the on the bench press. Yeah, right. But, He's but strong. He, but here's the thing: How do you, at three hundred and one pounds, run a five three nine? Right. Yeah. How, how does that happen when you just mentioned the LSU kid, Tyler Shelvin, who three like three five three eight or something? Yes. Who who ran a, a five three eight? Just a tick faster at three hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah. Right. Okay. Six two three fifty. So how do you let that happen? Okay. I don't know. I yeah. I, no. It's I, that's I don't what teams are going to ask him. I think they're yeah. going to talk to him about that. Tough. Now his tape, 2019 tape was solid. I would have had him somewhere in those mid. But again, at some point, you have to athletic testing has to reach a certain point, and, or you're and, outside my round. And, and listen, he he had the production right. I mean, I think he had uh, you know nine, ten sacks, something like that at Pittsburgh. Yeah. But at the same time. Some of those were cleanup sacks because mm-hmm. you had you had Rashad Weaver on one side, you had Patrick Jones on the other. That was a talented defensive line. So I just wonder sometimes when you take when you take the 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 sum of of the parts, it's great. But when you take those parts individually, can they stand on their own and still be great? Sure. 
Right. Sometimes yeah. it happens, sometimes it doesn't. Some people have asked about Kyrus Tonger from BYU. A couple things took him off my consideration for he's, he's 25 years old. <laughs> he's giving me 25 years old. He has 31-inch yeah. arms. He tested just very okay. He did a lot of the stuff that you'd want to see be more impressive was not. Yeah. Production over the years, lots of playing. The production over the years was not that great. was fine, you know, but even if tape is great – Again, at some point we cover team two. We got to just kind of all right. We we're not watching these guys. Like we get we yeah. do deep dives when we go. Like it's right. not Scott's yelling me. Where, where's your article? I like I'm I'm still trying to watch one more game to make sure you know that's kind of how it goes yeah. with these guys. And so at some point you got to draw the line. Twenty five years old, thirty one inch arms, math, athletic testing. Twenty five years old, even if your tape's great, man. Like you're right. throwing around nineteen year olds. Like I don't yeah. know. Like that the, really listen, matters. There's just don't rule him out in round six or seven. The reason I yeah. say that, Kilo Davis, sixth round pick. Jason's drafted sure. two defensive tackles in the seventh Stevie, round. Stevie, Stevie T. Stevie T. Stevie Tui Kulavatu and Terry Beckner. Yeah. So um, it, it, that's the kind of player, right, that if you're looking for a rotational nose tackle type, throw him in the mix as, yep. as a sixth or seventh round. They got two seventh round picks. He might not be there, but uh, John, I, I think at age 25. And mm-hmm. and <clears throat> sometimes that's what, what gets these BYU players is that they go on the, on the two-year missions they redshirt and they're just an older prospect. And it doesn't yeah. mean they're not good players. Right. Right. You're going to see Zach Wilson, who's a BYU kid, go second overall. It doesn't it didn't apply to everybody. Right. But when it, when it applies to certain positions, they want younger guys. They want mm-hmm. guys that are 20, 21, 22, maybe 23. Sometimes even 23 is, is old for NFL teams. Right. For sure. Yeah. So there's a lot of variables too. The two guys I haven't seen that I still hoping to see it to Daryl Slayton from Florida and then uh, Jonathan Marshall from Arkansas who tested really, really well. I think want to get a look at those guys. I haven't heard much buzz about them. I just want to look at them, make sure I'm not missing anything, but there's your defensive tackle rankings for it's the 2021 class. That's not great, but uh, you can find, if you wait, I wrote about this pass on it in the early rounds. If you wait and you can find, I think you can get Marlon T on day three and you might be happy with, uh, mm-hmm. with what you early in day three, and you might be happy with what you came away with. So uh, it's all about finding the value and not right. reaching for players. You have no needs. Don't reach. Yep. Just wait. John, we've had a fun week here on the Peter Report podcast. We had yeah. you and I on Monday doing a, a simulated Bucks mock draft, a seven-round pick. On Tuesday, Mark Cook and I were on, and we had Cameron Brait as our mm-hmm. – actually, Camatron, as we're going to call him from now on. Um, he was a fantastic guest. That was a really fun, lighthearted show. Go back and a take a look show. at it. Lots of cool little nuggets in there too from Cam. So if mm-hmm. you missed Tuesday's show, be sure to, to go to our YouTube channel, Peter Report TV, and check that out. John, I've not uh, had a chance to watch your show last night with Dane Brugler from The Athletic. He just came out with The Beast, which is his draft guide. I have gone through that though. It's fantastic. So later today, I'm going to check out your show from last night. And then, of course, we, we wrap up the week with the defensive tackles preview. So it was a Hell of a week here on the Pew Report podcast. We want to thank everybody for for tuning in. And if you missed any part of the show, if you missed um, any of the shows earlier this week, you can go to our YouTube channel, Pew Report TV, mm-hmm. and you can check that out. And um, uh, and you can also subscribe. We want you to hit that subscribe button. Also, click on notifications once you subscribe. Whenever we go live, sometimes usually it's four o'clock in the afternoon Eastern time. Sometimes it's later at night, depending on our guest schedules. Mm-hmm. But every time you you click on notifications, you'll get that notification and let you know when, when we're on live. Right. Absolutely. It's going to be more great stuff as we get closer and closer to the NFL draft. Lots of fun and exciting stuff coming your way, as always, here on another edition of the Peter Report Podcast. Out. Out.